0: More power to you, Michael. More power to you, Brian.
1: There's never a shortage of things to talk about with this franchise. I will give them that. Would you, I mean, it's good if you're in the podcast business like we are.
0: Certainly tons of material to cover. Yeah. Sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. At this point, may as well talk about it all. No news is bad news for us.
1: That's right. Welcome back
0: to the post-game
1: living room, folks. Have a seat because we have tons to discuss. But first, Mike, let me ask you, where does the current Steelers' state of affairs fall on the spectrum of misery for you?
0: Honestly, I, I think it's an uptick from that opening weekend ass-kicking. I'm certainly surprised to hear myself say that after starting 0-2, but in this week's loss, I see uh, I see some things to be excited about. I see possibility on the horizon. I at least see a team that gave a shit and showed up this week. Maybe didn't play as well as they should have, but definitely the other side of uh, the lifeless corpse that we saw opening weekend.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that there was a win somewhere in that game. Mason Rudolph could have come through. In fact, arguably, he did enough to win the game. Hey, he threw some touchdowns.
0: Threw some touchdowns almost immediately, and those touchdowns were thrown with some authority.
1: Yeah, it was just that the Seahawks capitalized from just about every one of the Steelers' mistakes, be it an interception or penalties. Just feel like they left the win on the field. If they, you know, if they could have gotten out of their own way, maybe we'd be one and one. But uh, we will discuss all of that and more in this episode, and we'll get into our prediction for Sunday night's game against the 49ers. But first, Mike, I want to lead with this tweet from Coach Cower. Coach Cower, even in retirement, still motivating Steelers nation. And I'm going to quote him verbatim here, so bear with me. No time to panic if your team lost week one. Last year, seven of the 12 playoff teams lost week one. Five of those seven won in week two. The season is a marathon, not a sprint. It takes four weeks to truly assess your strengths. That's in capitals. And more importantly, your limitations, also in capitals. Also in
0: capitals. Enjoy the process, everyone. Are you enjoying the process, Mike? I'm definitely closer to enjoying it. Again, seeing a... Seeing some life breathe back into the franchise, you know, seeing some excitement near the end of the game, rather than conceding with a quarter and a half left that we are in the midst of an incredible blowout, there were things to entice. There were things to excite. There was promise. There was a pulse.
1: After some distance from the game on Sunday, I'm convinced that we can still have some fun this year. Call me a homer, but...
0: Well, homer, let me tell you, a little book called The Odyssey... Is what football season is all about.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a little highbrow. <laughs> yeah,
0: hey, we gotta we gotta remind our adoring public sometimes that while we sound like morons, we might know a thing or two about a thing or two.
1: Well, I'm encouraged by what we saw from Rudolph. I mean, at least he ain't Landry Jones, right?
0: In one half of football, I have seen more from Mason Rudolph than I saw in Landry Jones's entire tenure in Pittsburgh. Just an authoritative stance, though. I mean, the sheer confidence when he drops back, and he, you know, he's gunning it. He's launching it down the field. You know, it's been fifteen some years since we've seen a quarterback that, that comes in and provides that much of a, a, a boost. We're not the types to dip our toes in the water. In fact, we like to dive right in. So, um, so that flaming train wreck from Sunday. Let's uh, let's talk about it.
1: All right. So, Ben is lost for the season, but how much of a loss will it turn out to be? Now, Mike, in our Adios Amigos episode, we didn't mention poor Josh Dobbs. We taped the Sunday before he was traded to Jacksonville the following Monday. So, hey Josh Dobbs, we owe you one. Adios, amigo.
0: Adios, Josh.
1: Mike, do you think that we will be adding Ben to our Adios episode next year?
0: I think if Mason Rudolph can can prove in the 14 games that he has this season that he's learning and he's evolving. He's getting better week to week. Notice I didn't mention make the playoffs in that calculation. I think this is the last we will have seen of Ben Roethlisberger, not just because of his age, but just the nature and location of the injury. And I'm I'm not at this juncture completely saddened by that. I mean, any fan that can count to 10 knows how old Ben Roethlisberger is and knows the extent of the beatings he's taken his entire career. So to think that even though we keep extending Ben's contract that he was going to be there forever, that's that's just stupid. Time is undefeated and at this point time is beating Ben Roethlisberger. He's not the only one if you look around the NFL this weekend. That all being said, we have been presented with a prime opportunity to completely evaluate a second year player similar to the the circumstances when Ben took over after Tommy Maddox's injury and guided the team to a 15 and 1 record. Now I'm not comparing Rudolph from the small sample size we've seen so far to what Ben put together in his rookie season uh you know when he first got his opportunity, but look We as fans should not expect the team to make the playoffs, make a playoff run, any of that nature. We have unknown quantities that we are dealing with right now. We are in the unique position to completely evaluate said unknown quantities. And if this turns out to be our quarterback of the future, we haven't wasted a season. We have been put in this predicament, we have been put in this situation, and we got to make the best of it. And in the process, come out the other side knowing what we have. Is it a boom? Is it a bust? we got 14 games. Let's see. Mason Rudolph, a.k.a. A New Hope,
1: is your starter for the remainder of the 2019 Steelers season. Ben moves to IR. Rudolph is backed up by the scrappy Devlin Hodges, formerly of the practice squad. So let's talk about Mason Rudolph in that game on Sunday. Let's shake the box score and see what falls out here. Mason was 12-19 for 112 yards, two touchdowns, one of which was a butte to Vance McDonald. 45-yard completion to Juju. Juju helped out with an incredible athletic catch. Based on those two quarters, Mike, and those flashes of brilliance, what's your prognosis for the offense under Rudolph? Is it going to be more of a new hope,
0: or is he going to be a phantom menace? Definitely a new hope. I mean, it seemed like he almost immediately clicked, other than the interception that was not his fault. Like, the guy came out there cold and threw two touchdowns in two quarters. To enter the game and and just conduct himself with such confidence was was something else, man. And part of the reason why we would be so hopeful.
1: Mason performed very well in the preseason. Suddenly, this Steelers offense looks a hell of a lot like it did in the preseason. You know, now except now we have Juju, the offensive line too.
0: Knowing that during preseason, Ben was working with the ones and Mason was battling Josh Dobbs working with the 2s, 3s or whoever else, you know. He hasn't had the reps with the majority of the people that he was playing with and the natural ability on display with him can only get better as it's refined and he gets more reps with all of, uh, you know, all of the starting receivers, with the running backs just you know, just as he gets more of the offense under his belt. You know, haven't haven't felt this level of hope since 2003. Let's talk about some of the
1: other units of the team and their uh, performance on Sunday. Receivers are struggling as a unit. They couldn't get uh, separation on Sunday. Let's look at Juju. Juju is a better commercial actor than Antonio Brown. He's better at delivering lines. Check him out in his Gatorade commercial, and he's got a Pizza Hut spot. But on the field through two weeks, he's not having the season we expected as the true number one. He got 5 passes for 84 yards on Sunday. How do you see him working with Mason Rudolph?
0: After that bomb down the field, I think they're going to work out nicely. They just need to get in sync, get a few more reps together. It's, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be understated that the offense looked completely out of sync, you know, for the 6 quarters that Ben Roethlisberger played this season. We certainly scored more touchdowns, two times as many touchdowns with with uh, Mason and Nothing, nothing offensively seemed to gel until the third, you know, around the third quarter of the Seahawks game.
1: You know, one receiver where it didn't gel Dante hands of concrete Moncrief.
0: Oh, my word. I'm just just awful.
1: Cause interception when he volleyed the ball up into the air instead of catching it. Which led to a Seahawks score. He had four drop passes in the uh, Patriots game. I guess he's getting over a dislocated finger or something.
0: Did Ike Taylor re-enter the league and decide to play offense?
1: No, I think even Ike Taylor could catch a ball occasionally.
0: In Dante's defense, he does keep getting hit right in the hands. What receiver would want to get hit in the hands?
1: (laughs) Do you think this is the last we're going to see of Moncrief?
0: I think he's on a very short leash. He may get one final attempt to redeem himself Uh, against san francisco this weekend but i can guarantee you that even on one or two plays anything close to the drops or that result in no yardage gained or result in turnover gone i mean you, you have to the amount of times that he's been targeted the impact of him not catching the ball the perceived impact of what would have happened had he caught the ball we got to be judicious with our, uh, with our targeting. If the guy isn't going to move the ball down the field or, worst case, targeting him is going to result in a turnover, there are a finite amount of snaps each week. Can't target a dude that we know the result is going to be negative.
1: Right, especially when there's talent behind him like James Washington. James Washington, another sliver of hope that he can produce if he and Rudolph can conjure up that preseason magic and their Oklahoma State chemistry. I feel like James Washington is shown to be a better receiver than Moncrief just based on his preseason play. I mean, he was catching passes.
0: Yeah, you know when a receiver can't catch a ball, that uh, maybe he needs to rethink his pursuits in life.
1: Vance McDonald, two touchdowns. It was nice to see Vance more involved this this game. Mia against the Patriots.
0: Vance McDonald is going to be a key component in the success or lack of success of this team. For for a young quarterback like Rudolph, a tight end is uh, generally the safety valve, and two touchdown passes to the same dude. He's already de- he already has seemed to develop a rapport with Vance. If Juju is going to be double teamed, or you know if Moncrief isn't going to catch the ball, someone's got to. And hey, look at that! Starts out blocking. Releases, you know, releases out into the middle of the field. Mason avoids some people. There's Vance. That's 7 to 15 yards. It's not a tried and true, you know, simple plug and play kind of thing, but it works, and it's already worked to the effect of two touchdowns from a guy that had, what, 43 yards in that first Patriots game? Something something minimal, and I mean, that came in garbage time. Well, most of the Patriots game could have been considered garbage time for us.
1: Also in the hot seat, Ryan Switzer. Now I was telling you, Ryan Switzer. Every time I hear his name, it makes me thirsty, and I couldn't figure out why. And I thought, wine spritzer.
0: Ryan Switzer's looking to have his playing time watered down, just like the, uh, just like his drink name would imply, with that bobbled punt. That uh, I had high hopes for him too, just because he's the kind of guy that the Patriots would use to maximum effect. Hell, he could be a Super Bowl MVP, a la Julian Edelman. He's short, he's white, everyone forgets about him. Well, it's unfortunate because he's assumed that Eli Rogers
1: role, right? And whose idea was it to cut Eli Rogers? I'd like to know. Quick note about Eli Rogers. Apparently he was seen at the facility on Monday. Press caught wind of that and started tweeting about it, but then he responded and said he was just there to thank the Roonies. But uh we'll see about that. What were you gonna say about Eli?
0: Well, whoever got rid of Eli Rogers needs to have their head checked. Um Eli was the kind of guy that, in a safety valve role like a like your go to tight end, Eli Rogers just seemed to be in the right place at the right time, always on a third and long, uh, you know, steady hands, just a you know just a solid role playing slot receiver, and I think we are sorely missing him.
1: It does make you wonder what they saw in. Ryan Switzer, they felt
0: that they could let go of Eli
1: Rogers. Yeah, as
0: long as he's not on someone else's squad, if he's out there, anything's in play.
1: So let's talk about the running backs now. James Conner, 11 carries, 33 yards and a touchdown and one banged up knee after Sunday. You know, we're recording this, what, on uh, Tuesday night. Latest news is that Conner believes he's going to be able to suit up on Sunday. Honestly, he needs to have more involvement. I just, I love watching this guy run.
0: It, you know, it's straightforward, hit the hole, knock some people around. I think his performance is suffering from the fact that the offense just was a mystery. It's like, well, what are we even doing? There's just been no consistency in anything. Nothing has really gotten going. And that's a recipe for everything to look like shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you need, you need to be able to establish some kind of offensive protocol. And we just haven't until the second half on Sunday offensively. We were just out in the wilderness, man. There there was nothing to point to as what is our offensive identity other than awful.
1: Well, I fully expect with Mason under center, we're going to see more handoffs, more quick dumps to Connor, and I envision more involvement from Jalen Samuels. He did have a catch out of bounds from Ben, pass interference penalty, put the ball in the one for James Connor to pound the ball in. For that touchdown, I think if you got Mason there, you're going to see a lot more little quick pass to to James and Jalen.
0: I definitely agree with that. And one thing that's going to make that even more viable is the quickness of Mason Rudolph, the ability to fake the handoff, the ability to roll out and quickly dump off to someone. I mean, there are various wrinkles that we haven't seen for forever just because Ben is Ben and plays in a Ben Roethlisberger fashion. But I sound like a, sound like a little schoolgirl. I'm like all giddy about, wow, there's, there's potential, man.
1: Well, I think we gushed about the offense with more positivity. And I think listeners of the show would be surprised to hear so much positivity come, coming from us on a 0-2 season.
0: I was going to say, when was the last time that we, uh, in, in a loss, have had this many good things to say? I know.
1: <laughs> well, we're about to change that because uh, we're going to talk about the defense now. Well, I can tell you that the title of this episode up until the end of the first quarter on Sunday was going to be sack lunch, which I thought was pretty clever, and I thought it alluded to the just the domination from J.J. Watt. Then it all went south. Game started off just fine. Defense seemed to pressure Russell Wilson. They got to him in the first quarter. They sacked him four times. T.J. Watt and it were their usual selves. T.J. Watt forced a fumble. T.J. Watt played out of his mind, and that is also another fun stealer to watch.
0: He is just a ball of energy. I love to see the ignition, just the spitfire, just intensity. Again, if T.J. Watt played for any other team, he would probably be the most annoying player on the team's defense. But he plays for us, so I'm okay with it.
1: Unfortunately, that's about all the positives I have on defense. There was a fumble recovery from Mark Barron that was returned for a touchdown. Then it got called back from a stupid penalty from Sean Davis. And that's what I meant about these mistakes that we mentioned earlier. Another costly penalty. Unnecessary roughness on Dan McCullers. He made contact with Seattle's long snapper. Arguably ticky-tacky, but it gave Seattle a try for the touchdown, and they succeeded. I just feel that when it mattered, most the defense could not stop Russell Wilson's scrambles. Um, He was able to get a 15-yard third down and then set up the fourth and one that was easily converted by Chris Carson at the end. Several blown tackles and that was something that was evident in our game with New England, but it cost us again. Chicolo missed Rashad Penny. Terrell Edmonds whiffed on Tyler Lockett for a long gain after a catch. Terrell Edmonds was the subject of a pass interference call in the fourth quarter. Al Riveron looked at all the angles and decided that Edmonds hindered the catch. He realized the Steelers were playing and decided that it was indeed pass interference. This is where football is in 2019, Mike. Looking at all these angles, overanalyzing, it makes it tougher for defenders to be aggressive. If you're going to challenge... A pass interference call. When you're looking at it with that much scrutiny, don't you feel like you're going to hold back a little bit if you're a defender?
0: Yes, definitely. And aside from longer offensive plays, blown defensive coverage, that's associated with that. We've talked too about how players will will let up if they feel like they're about to commit a foul. And when you're going 300 miles an hour and instantly slam on the brakes how many how many injuries are we going to see out of this we can all thank the rams defender that blatantly interfered with the saints receiver in the nfc championship game last year and you know that was ridiculous so the the fallibility of human refs and the audacity of some defenders to just willfully tackle essentially tackle somebody has blessed us with Just an awful opening in the review handbook.
1: Yeah, and you can't deny the Seahawks got a little assistance from the refs in this game, but DJ Metcliffe burned Edmonds for a touchdown on the next play. Um, And it's possible that that
0: pass interference call got into his head. The fact that the Seahawks benefited against the Steelers because of some calls from the refs, I'm sure uh, any Super Bowl XL Seahawks fans were saying, about time.
1: Right. I want to give a shout-out to the Steel City Underground podcast and blog here. There's some great, great breakdowns and rants on the officiating if anyone wants to hear more about that, specifically that pass interference call. But what it all leads us back to is that when it mattered most, the Steelers' defense did not come through for three quarters of this game because refs have nothing to do with blown tackles and missed assignments.
0: We were just not on. We, we were not on, on defense when we had the opportunity to step up and stop the Seahawks. Our offense put us in a position to win, and defensively, we didn't do everything that we could to win the game.
1: Right, and these are all things that have nothing to do with Ben being injured and Mason Rudolph taking over.
0: To reiterate what we've been saying this entire time, the offense surprisingly put us in a place to win, and the defense snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. So
1: while we're talking about defense, we know that something needs to change. While Steeler Nation was depressed, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, Kevin Colbert already made some adjustments to the Steelers' roster. This week, we have some acquisitions that are going to bolster the secondary. We've got Minka Fitzpatrick was acquired from the Dolphins for a 2020 first-round draft pick, and by all accounts, he's a capable slot corner. And what does that mean? Well, that means that the Steelers need solutions for your Julian Edelmans and your Tyler Locketts. He's already going to get the start. He's taken over for Sean Davis. Davis is on injured reserve, so... Mike, you had a correspondent give you some details about Fitzpatrick, right?
0: Yes. And I believe he's second year, is he not? 2018? Yeah. He was drafted 2018. Coworker of mine, big Dolphins fan, definitely expressed that we should be very happy and very thankful that we got Minka. Has watched every game uh, since his rookie season last year. He says the guy is the real deal and will hopefully help to be a you know a cohesive force for our defense. Because I think if we can settle the back end, it'll give us enough time to develop some of the middle or have the middle be more impactful. I still don't think that there's a much better starting front three than Cam Hayward, Jason Hargraves, and Stephon Tuitt. If the front and back of our defense are locked down, that gives Devin Bush some time to further hone things. It really gives us the opportunity to tie it all together and turn what has looked like a sloppy haphazardly constructed defense into a powerhouse a very very strong and very effective defense
1: then the Steelers acquired a new free agent linebacker Jerone Elliott he's a journeyman outside linebacker having started his career with the Packers before going on to the Cowboys the Saints and he even had a stint in the AAF with the San Antonio Commanders He was signed and dropped by the Dolphins earlier this year. Sensing a theme here. He was even with the Steelers for like a week in the preseason, I guess. But obviously, this is the kind of player that you get so you can have some depth at linebacker. I don't know if we're going to see much of him right away.
0: You wouldn't think with T.J. Watt, Devin Bush, Mark Barron, Vince Williams, that's a crowded linebacking core. But it's always best to be prepared, have someone that knows the system Because, like with Mason, next man up. God, it's so cliche to say it, and every team does. But it comes to play every week. And here we are in the throes of what that means.
1: Right. Well, there are some injuries in linebackers. I guess Vince Williams hurt and Chicolo. I'm not sure the extent of their injuries, but clearly it was enough to have the Steelers make the move. For the offense, speaking of next man up, welcome quarterback Paxton Lynch to the practice squad. That is our assurance policy, huh? Because, dang, it's slim pickings out there. But there's a reason why they picked up Paxton Lynch, right, Mike?
0: I do remember hearing some rumblings ahead of the 2016 draft that the Steelers liked the makeup and the build of Paxton Lynch as a possible successor to Ben Roethlisberger. Obviously... Things have gone sideways for Paxton. Never was able to really turn the corner and give it a go in the NFL. Just looked awful. You'd have thought with the the pedigree of quarterbacks going through the Denver system that Paxton could have received some tutelage that would have stuck, but yeah, not so much. So uh, better to have someone that might be able to be taught than someone that we know is god-awful.
1: Lynch is a former first-round pick, 2016. That's the same year he was a third quarterback off the board. He was behind Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Picked up by the Denver Broncos, backing up Trevor Simeon at the time. He signed with the Seahawks earlier this year, but he didn't make the cut. Speaking of cut, Mike, I want to introduce a new segment here. The chopping block. Personnel that is regressing, not capable of adjusting after they make mistakes. I want to keep a running tally of this throughout the season. See whose job should be on the line, and Obviously, my first candidate is Dante Moncrief. What do you think about that?
0: As I said earlier, he's going to get one more opportunity in San Fran this weekend. And if any more egregious drops or turnover-inducing plays, he's got to go. There's not enough snaps in every game to continue the goodwill of, well, maybe he'll turn the corner. If Moncrief doesn't turn the corner this week, gone.
1: Got one more candidate for the chopping block at this point in the season. Based on
0: the defensive woes, do you think we should add Keith Butler at this point? You mean lead guitarist for the who Pete Townsend lookalike Keith Butler? When you've experienced the defensive genius of a Dick LeBeau or even sometimes the adequacy of a Dom Capers before it was like super awful. You like to think that in Pittsburgh, the defensive coordinator spot is almost tantamount to head coach. I mean, Blitzberg, the Steel Curtain, all of that, just the history of the people who have worn that cape, so to say. I think that Keith Butler is on the hot seat. We need to be able to, after how many drafts since he's taken over, after the acquisitions of uh, players like Devin Bush and now the promise of uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, it's time to produce. That's it. Our identity has always been that of uh, a stout defense and seems to, uh, as of late, be unable to cover anything. More like a wet paper bag than the steel curtain.
1: All right, so, so far, candidates on the chopping block are Dante Moncrief and Keith Butler. Lock it in. You're on notice. I feel like we've done enough reflecting on Sunday's game. Do you want to look towards the future?
0: Seems to be brighter than the past.
1: Nowhere to go but up. Long-time listeners of More Power Teens will know that our prediction segment is called Stairway to Seven. So we preview the following week's matchup with each win a climb to the seventh ring and each loss would be a step down. But it ain't 2017 anymore, folks. So instead of torturing ourselves with a stairway to seven, we're going to break out the step ladder to seven. Each week we'll predict whether or not the Steelers will reach seven wins this season and call it lowered expectations
0: you know what's great about a stepladder if you take a tumble you might not break your leg
1: the first step up might not be this week as the Steelers travel to the west coast and we all know what happens to the Steelers in pacific time Steelers travel to Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara take on Kyle Shanahan and the 2-0 49ers right now the over under is 44 the line is 7 Steelers are the underdogs 49ers are coming off a win over the Bengals last week, 41 to 17. The Niners ran all over Cincinnati. The committee of Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida, Jeff Wilson, ran for a combined 238 yards and two touchdowns. Given what Carson and Penny did to us last week, this is some cause for concern, right?
0: Slightly. I think more of the complication with the Seahawks came with the addition of Russell Wilson being so mobile don't look for so much of that with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, but definitely definitely something to monitor.
1: You're right, because last week through the air, Garoppolo was 17 for 25, 297 yards and three touchdowns, delivering to the likes of Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, and Raheem Mostert caught one too. But the Bengals' defense is just awful. So that said, we have to look at what the 49ers did against Tampa Bay in week one. The Niners' defense had three interceptions that were turned for scores. So, Garoppolo didn't have to work as hard. But my thinking is, what do the Bengals and the Bucks have in common? To date, it's bad quarterback play. Against the 49ers, another thing they had in common, they, they just couldn't establish the run. They got down early, had to toss the ball. Last week, Joe Mixon was even stopped short of the goal line. However, Dalton did connect to his tight end Eifert for a score, so we'd have to look for Vance to help out Mason there and then look for quick dumps to Connor Samuels. What do you think?
0: I think it's a perfect strategy. In the early goings here, Because Mason does look to have that quick release, we've got to kind of look at the short pass to set up the run. I mean, I think, honestly, I guess we just need to establish something. As I said earlier, we need to establish an offensive identity of some sort. It seems that what would be most effective would be the short passes out of the backfield to our our stellar running backs and looking for our tight end slash uh, slot receivers to catch short, quick passes and uh, utilize yards after catch to establish our offensive identity.
1: Right. I think ultimately Sunday success is going to be on the defense. If they come out flat, start missing tackles, and let the Niners score early, I think that running back trio is just going to have their way. It's going to be a repeat of Carson Penny and the scrambling Russell Wilson. Looking at the stats from week one, it would indicate that you should try and make Garoppolo throw. Hopefully T.J. Watt and it can continue their pressure. and The tackling can't get any worse, can it?
0: No, it can't. Knowing the way that these running backs have been gouging people, we need to cue on the run game, but also instill some blanket coverage. This is one team where man-to-man, I think, could work to our advantage against the Niners receivers. And utilizing force up front to stymie the running backs will kind of set the tone for the game.
1: Looking forward to seeing what Fitzpatrick does since he is going to get the start. Uh, trial by fire. Injury-wise, personnel to monitor. Roosevelt Nix is ruled out with a knee injury. Won't have him in the running game. Vince Williams, Chickalow, Joe Hayden are all banged up too, so that suggests why we went out and bolstered the defense this week. Let's get on to the prediction here, Mike. Against the 2-0 49ers, is this a step up or a step down on the stepladder to seven wins?
0: My take... This week is less of a win or or lose scenario to equate to a step-up. But to see Mason's first full game in a hostile environment against a 2-0 team, to see progress instead of regression, which could result in a win but may not, I think a win obviously would be a step-up, but I think a valiant effort— And some positive play from Mason would also be a a step up for me. I'll say it now. My take on all of the steps, every step that, that could be had in the first five weeks. If the Steelers, after week five's game against the Baltimore Ravens, sit at two and three, we are in a good position. That being said, Mason needs to go out. He needs to play his game. And... From the looks of it so far, it's already a step up. I also reserve the right to call bullshit on myself next time we record.
1: All right, fair enough. I like how you answered that question, though. I agree with you. In my heart of hearts, it's a step down on the step ladder to seven. Just given the West Coast travel, I envision an overly conservative game plan and a soft defense committing penalties and with further receiving woes. Kind of contrary to the first half of this episode. Here's
0: the interesting wrinkle. Vance McDonald is a former San Francisco 49er. And it just seems that week to week when expats play their former team, and I say expats as in ex-Patriots, not the New England Patriots, but you know what I mean. God, I have to clarify it in football.
1: Well, that's why we do the clarification and call them the Patriots.
0: Yes. So week to week. When you see a former player take on their former team, they just seem to have the game of their lives and single-handedly take over the game. I hope Vance does that. Don't know why I didn't think of it beforehand. It would play right into the, well, of course we were going to win. Yeah, exactly.
1: Do you want to give a score prediction?
0: I think it'll be a tight one. uh, Let's go go 24-20, Steeler victory.
1: All right. I'm going to say 49ers take it, 27-13. Vance touchdown and two Boswell field goals, and I hope I'm wrong. But I like how you answered the question. It was much more positive. Again, surprising. Overall, we were very positive today. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gigantic wet blanket most of the times. So I'm a pessimistic optimist, and today, oh, I know I'm going to regret being positive. Well, Okay, did you have anything else in the world that you wanted to add, Mike? To encapsulate this throwing bout that we will uh, we will see on Sunday afternoon, let me pose it to you a different way. It's going to be two strong feminine comedians coming our way, giving laughs one way or another. It's Maya Rudolph v. Janine Garofalo for all the
1: marbles. And they'll be drinking wine spritzers. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. More Power To Yens is available on most podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google, and Stitcher. We're probably just about everywhere. If you have a moment to subscribe or rate, that'd really help us out. At More Power To yins on Instagram and the show's Twitter feed. We'll see how it goes on Sunday. But until then, more power to you, Mike.
0: More power to you, Brian.
1: And more power to you.